thank you for coming to the podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, featuring our interview with Eric Anders, is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. If you're like me and you love MMA, but you also don't like looking like a walking tattoo sleeve, you're going to love Human Weapon. Human Weapon has high-quality shirts with very clean and very simple graphics. You can show off the sport you love while still looking good, so head on over to HumanWeapon.com and use promo code FLOW. That's F-L-O for 15% off your very first order. Human Weapon brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and it starts right now. We are rolling. Thank you for coming. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is a very special episode, Gumby. It's the C-Note. It's episode 100. What a milestone. Did you ever think we'd make it to 100 episodes? Uh, probably not at episode one, but somewhere around like episode 25, it seemed to get some steam. This all just started because we were two chatty Cathy's talking at open mats and we were like, Hey, let's record this like every other motherfucker. Let's have an MMA podcast. And now here we are on flow combat. Oh, how far we've come. The places you've gone. All right. So with it being episode 100, one of the things we did was we looked at when we felt we were at our best based on fan feedback as well. And we're pretty good at coming up with lists. So we like to break things down, rank things. We're kind of like I love being a fucking list. Me too. We're kind of like those guys in that movie. What's that movie where it's all about top five lists? You ever see that movie? I don't know that movie. <laughs> Fuck. Well, there was a Chris Rock movie called Top Five, so that was kind of about top five. But it had um, come on, Jack Black. They're like music geeks. Oh, uh, high fidelity! High fidelity! You knew it. Yeah. <laughs> Rom com fan. Book, yeah, yeah. English guy over here. So anyway, we're like that, but for MMA. So what we're gonna do to kick off episode C note before we get to Eric Anders, which we're uh, very excited about, um, back on the show for the second time now. Um, we're gonna do our top five unranked fighters who have a chance of pulling a quote-unquote Vulcan Ozdemir to come out of nowhere and within one year, and really in Vulcan's case, it was like nine months, be fighting for a title. Uh, did I get our parameters right, Gumby? Is there anything you want to yeah, add about un, that? Un, un, they have to be unranked right now and the best shot at wind up fighting for the title within one year from today. All right. Well, you can uh, hate tweet us if you disagree with this list at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. We also accept both love and hate mail. Top Turtle MMA at Gmail. Let's start with the list. We go five down to one, and the number five unranked fighter potential to pull a Vulcan Ozdemir in the next year is Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa. He's a heavyweight. He's eight and zero, and he in the UFC he's one and zero. Highlight reel flying knee KO of Rashad Coulter at Fight Night 121 in November. What do you think about Bam Bam Gumby? Oh, I love him on this list. A because the heavyweight division is so so light on contenders, and B I love it because he's so young. He's in his early twenties. He's basically like early twenties version of Mark Hunt, kind of a little bit out of shape. Maybe not exactly <laughs> what you'd look for in like the new age, like Francis Naganu looking heavyweight, but. He's got crazy knockout power. He's really, really, really creative with his strikes. And uh, he seems to want to get in there and fight as often as possible because he fought in November and he's fighting again in February. So that's a pretty quick turnaround. 
for uh, Bam Bam, and I really, really, really like his chances of moving up in the division. Yeah, from the same geographic region, right? And sort of, uh, it just feels like a Mark yeah, Hunt Jr. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they train together, too. Oh, Mark is that right? Hunt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark Hunt, he looks like he's been working out, so maybe Bam Bam will uh, shed a couple of pounds as well on this new Mark <laughs> Hunt diet, if you've seen that photo. We'll move to number four, and uh, it's a name that I think if you... Uh, you know, if you're a fan of the UFC, but you don't really get outside the bubble, so to speak, though, if you're on Flow Combat, I'm pretty sure you're outside the bubble. Uh, and she's one of the bigger names outside the UFC, but now in the UFC, and that's the, uh, jiu-jitsu killer and beautiful Mackenzie Dern. She's 5-0 and as a pro. Has not made her UFC debut yet, but she's a submission machine, and she fights Ashley Yoder at UFC 222. What do you think about Mackenzie Dern? I like her again to be one of the ones to make this like Vulcan-esque rise here too because straw weight again a little bit deeper than heavyweight but pretty thin uh, top to bottom plus she's shown you know you said submission machine but she's shown that her hands keep getting better every time out and I don't think John Crouch would have let her well not not to say that he has control over her but he wouldn't have encouraged her to go to the UFC if he didn't believe that she could actually handle what's there now so I, I think they set her up with a good first fight in Yoder, somebody who's going to try to grapple with her, uh, which is just silly. Nobody should grapple with her. Um, and, and I think that the sky's the limit for Dern, especially if her hands keep developing at the rate they are. And the plan is for her to fight at strawweight, although she absolutely could be competitive at flyweight, I would think, as well, right? Yeah, and she's beaten the number seven flyweight uh, by Imanari Choke back in Legacy. Um, which is just a crazy freaking choke to begin with. And the fact that she already has a win over number seven in the UFC uh, just just shows what a huge prospect she is. Yeah, I truly believe just, you know, there's something very Ronda-esque about her. I mean, for one thing, let's just call a spade a spade. She's beautiful, right? But on the other hand, she's also this killer from her specific uh, discipline, being jiu-jitsu, much like Ronda was an Olympic gold uh, medalist, or actually I should say, I think she was bronze, in uh, judo. So Mackenzie Dern brings this one strength into MMA. She's with uh, <laughs> much smarter people than Ronda even surrounded herself with by being at the lab. So I really do believe the sky's the limit, and you know she's one of these fighters just based on her 500,000 Instagram followers that the UFC marketing department will want to sink their teeth into. 100%, yeah. We'll move now to number three, and I think this is actually, it speaks to maybe the future of the heavyweight division, because we're coming in with our second heavyweight. He's 6-0 and as a pro, 1-0 and in the UFC, and that's Marcelo Gome. Tell us about him. So Marcelo Gome looked like an absolute killer in his debut. He, he beat Christian Colombo, who was already a UFC veteran at the time. Uh, he did that back in October, and I, I think automatically the UFC knew what they had here in terms of talent because they turned around and booked him right away with Timothy Johnson, who's, you know, like right on the border of top 15, if not in the top 15 at all times. So, so I think they see what Golm has in, in potential there. So when I'm thinking about people who are going to rise up from unranked to ranked, this is a guy already with a ranked matchup right in front of him for the beginning of February. Uh, and it would probably only take two or three killer wins here at heavyweight to get him to the top. Uh, especially being as this win will probably get him ranked. Yeah, and the fact that, uh, you know, a submission at heavyweight, he has a submission win over uh, Christian Colombo, as we said. Uh, you know, I think that always bodes well, too, because he's not just a one-dimensional, I'm here to punch your lights out heavyweight, right? 
Yeah, and that's why I like him at three over Tuivasa back at five because Tuivasa he, he's good and he's got excellent KOs, but you know he's kind of like that Mark Hunt, like his his ground game not quite developed. Whereas Golm can knock you out and Golm can choke you out. There's like a really really good well rounded sense. Uh, he he does need a couple more like you know high name opponents because he's pretty much fought just like Brazilian scrubs and then Christian Colombo. So Tim Johnson should really show us where he is. I think when we move now to number two, there's kind of a, a massive gap uh, when it comes to five, four, three, and now we're going to jump up. I think our number two and our number one fighters are even a step above, just based on experience. Because you look at Bam Bam, okay, eight and zero as a pro. Mackenzie Dern still really getting her feet wet in MMA, five and zero, and then Gome has only had six fights, but. Uh, our number two fighter, who happens to be uh, our guest today, and we didn't just do that because uh, he agreed to interview with us, uh, although we do love to kiss our guest's ass. No, we <laughs> truly believe that Eric Anders could have a Vulcan Ozdemir type run. The dude is a f- 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 freak athlete. He has 10 pro fights, hasn't lost yet, and he's 2-0 and in the UFC. Break down Eric Anders for us, Gumby. I think that point you said about him being a freak athlete is so, so important because he was you know, in the NFL for a little while, mostly practice squads, played some arena football, just like an absolutely freak athlete playing football, and then just decided to pick up MMA. And, and he talks about that in the interview. You'll hear more about, you know, his first time sort of training MMA and, and how he got into it and all that kind of stuff later on in the show. But, you know, like that freak athlete part is the, the crazy thing because he's still putting together all of the tools Yet he's still 10-0 with wins over guys like Rafael Natal and Marcus Perez. So the fact that he's already got those wins and now he's got a headliner booked against Machida, uh, I, I just think the sky's the limit for him in one year. Uh, because it, as his hands get better, as his wrestling gets better, as his jiu-jitsu gets better... Uh, he's already got the physical pieces. Very exciting. Um, and the middleweight division, you know, the top has been so stacked for a number of years, really, just with guys like Rockhold and Jacare and Weidman when he was the champion, Yoel Romero, and then the emergence of Bobby Nux. I mean, this is a tough division, and this guy is standing out as a future star. So this is very exciting. We move now to number one, and if you've listened to this show before, you know I have a massive man <laughs> crush on this man. I believe him to be the future. If you could buy stock in a UFC fighter, I would say to go all in on our number one unranked fighter who has the potential to pull a Vulcan Ozdemir in the next year, and that's Zabit Magomed Sharapov. It's tough to say the name, <laughs> the last name. It looks kind of like an eye chart, but this is a Dagestani fighter, much like Habib, who trains with Frankie Yeager and Mark Henry in North Jersey, and one of the things that I, when I first saw him, what I love about him, he brings video game kicks to the octagon. He's everything Yair Rodriguez was supposed to be, but he's not content to fight off his back. He he has a go-forward pressure grappling style. He mixes in sambo and takedowns, and then he can actually choke the life out of you when he gets you on the ground. This is what a mixed martial arts athlete in 2018 should look like. Um, I, I shouldn't even say that. I think he's almost ahead of the game because he looks like a real-life video game. But this is an all-around MMA fighter, and it's very exciting. What do you think of Zabit? Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I think he is like that future style that we're sort of expecting uh, because he, even though he's like long and thin like John Jones is, at the same exact time, he's like a very, very, very powerful wrestler. 
uh, and the fact that he's a powerful wrestler has shown. So, so you know, you're right. He he's not willing to just fight off of his back. But the other thing is that he like wants to be on top. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not necessarily that he he's uh, he's working to not be on his back, but he like wants to go to the ground and grapple, and he wants to sub you from the top all the time. Uh, and and then as you said, the video game esque kicks thrown in there. I just think he's a nightmare matchup for so many people at featherweight right now. Yeah, he really is, and it's just like the best of everything, really. To me, it's like the best of pressure grappling, kind of like a Habib. It's the best of, you know, nasty submissions, almost like, you know, not Damian Maya, because it's not that, but it's, you know, he brings a submission game. He has a tool bag full of submissions, and then it's the flashy, almost karate, uh, taekwondo kicks. He doesn't fully stand in a karate stance, but, you know, he can, and it's like he's bringing the best of all disciplines and then switching back and forth between them as the fight goes on i I just i couldn't be higher on this guy tough division right featherweight um but you know what frankie he's the og uh he's probably closer to retirement if he doesn't get this title shot there's rumors of him even going down to bantamweight um you know so who else really is there jose aldo his time has come and gone i know it's a stacked division but even Lamas just had that massive upset it's not crazy to think that if he has another KO, or sorry, another finish, whether it be KO or a submission, something highlight reel worthy, now he's 3-0 and with three finishes, that's the kind of thing the UFC loves to see. And, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe end of the year is a little aggressive, but certainly sometime in the first half of 2019, uh, he could be fighting for the title, don't you think? You know, you know I don't even think it's crazy to say the end of this year, because if you really think about it, Say he got booked in, like, April to fight Yair Rodriguez, right? Because that's the rumor out there. Everybody wants to see him fight Yair. I've got him in a victory over Yair. Me too. Then you say, well, he's got to move up from Yair. Who's he going to fight after Yair? Say he fights somebody like Ortega. Who would you take in Ortega versus Zabit? Because I think I'd take Zabit. I agree just because I think Ortega is so uh, willing to fight off his back, much like Yair. You've, I know he just is coming off an incredible performance for him, but I don't see him guillotining. Well, I didn't see him guillotining Cub Swanson, but I guess my point being is I like Zabit's style more than I like Ortega's style. And 100%. We've, we've seen Ortega in a lot of trouble in fights. We've seen him almost comfortable fighting off his back, and that's not where you want to be against a guy like Habib or a Zabit. You do not want to be complacent to just say yeah i'll try to fight off my back Uh, uh-uh. that's going to be a really tough day at the office against guys from dagestan 100 percent. and you add in the fact there too so if he beat yair he beat ortega you know it's not crazy to think title shot in december well you're speaking my language because i'm a huge fan so that rounds out the top five i'll say it again so these were the top five unranked fighters who have the potential to pull a vulcan ozdemir in 2018 and get a title shot within one year of debuting in the ufc um and that's uh number five ty bam bam tuavasa the heavyweight number four Mackenzie dern uh fighting and making her debut at strawweight the submission machine number three marcelo gome another heavyweight just choked out christian colombo at fight night 119 and he'll fight tim johnson at fight night 125 in brazil our guest today number two eric anders middleweight two and zero in the ufc and he's fighting leoto machida in the main event of fight night 125 in brazil massive opportunity for him and our number one prospect for this year zabit magomed sharapov uh so that rounds out the top five gumby uh should we move on
Yeah, let's uh, let's check out our interview with Eric Anders. So that interview is, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog is a Canadian craft brewery that brings you craft brews with no preservatives and no pasteurization, just good, clean beer. So head on over to deadfrog.ca and check out what they've got or head to your nearest liquor store and pick some up today. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA, and we are speaking to your boy, Eric Anders, who fights Loyola Machida as the headliner of UFC and Bellum on February 3rd. Eric, I'm going to gush to start here because I wish more fighters took the approach like you did, calling people out. You're a rising star. You knew the name you wanted. You knew the location, the placement on the card. Uh, and you called it out simply, but yet made it really intriguing. H- how far ahead of time did you plan that, or was that on the spot? Uh, man, you know, that was on the, kind of on the spot. You know, uh, I, I was looking on the uh, on the internet before the fight, um, before we got on the bus to go over there, you know, where the next uh, locations it was going to have. So, you know, I saw Belaine, I know he was from there, so I was like, shh, I thought it was dark. Yeah, and were you sort of surprised that you got it after calling it? I mean, because you called it out, and, and it wasn't two weeks later that the UFC confirmed it. Yeah, nah, I think that, uh, you know, I think that he wants somebody to fight. The rest of the middleweight division is pretty booked right now. So, you know, he was available, I'm available. So, you know, why not? Yeah, and, and you said sort of the reason that you picked Machida was that you knew he was from the area and, you know, he'd want to fight in his front of his hometown. Was there anything else you liked about the, the matchup with Machida, or just like you saw the location, you knew the guy, and uh, that seemed to make sense to you? Man, I think it would be really fun to fight in uh, a, a truly hostile environment uh, like that. You know, uh, fighting a guy in his hometown uh, and all that good not good stuff. You know, a legend in the game. You know, former champ. You know, I, th- I think it would be uh, nice and uh, nice and uh, uh, hazardous in there for me. So, so you're looking forward to the hazardous environment, and we're, we're talking about probably the most hazardous environment. Uh, it, th- there's no worry at all in you in going to a place like Brazil, fighting their golden child, when, when it hasn't gone so well for some people. I mean, look at Colby Covington, or I mean, that's an extreme example, but even Matt Brown uh, certainly didn't get welcomed there with open arms. There's no worries at all on your part? No, not at all. Not at all. You know, I kind of... Uh... I kind of enjoy it like that, as a matter of fact. You you enjoy the uh, the sort of negative energy. What what is it about the negative energy that that gets you up for a fight? Nah, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just always been like that. You know, the the funnest football game other than the, the national championship I ever played in was in a uh, Death Valley against LSU. Uh, we went to triple overtime, and it was just so loud and obnoxious inside that stadium. It's just you know, uh, it's just a different feeling. Yeah, definitely. I get that. So now a uh, uh, follow-up question to kind of that, moving away from the Machida matchup just a little bit. If you get through Machida, can we expect sort of a similar kind of call-out? Are, are you looking ahead on that schedule, uh, planning the same sort of thing this time? Uh, Not not too far in advance. You know, I do it like the, uh, you know, like the night of mm-hmm. or the night before the fight or whatever, just to change pace a little bit. Gotcha, gotcha. So I don't, got, I don't got time or a place as of right now, but, uh, you know, when my hand gets raised on February 3rd, I will. 
All right. And we, we, we can't wait to hear that one, too. So I, I want to shift a little bit here and talk about uh, your switch from football to MMA, because you mentioned football. We talked a lot about football last time we had you on. Uh, but I want to sort of talk about that that process of making that switch, because, you know, not a whole lot of people making the, the switch from elite athlete in football to you know, a singular sport in MMA. Do you remember what you were doing or, or where you were when you decided that the switch was going to happen and you were going to stop playing football and start doing MMA? Um, not really necessarily when one started and one ended, but, um, you know, definitely I knew when my time, uh, I, I definitely knew when my time to stop playing football was, and uh, I knew when my time to start uh, doing MMA is, and uh, I don't think they. I think there was a little gap there. I don't think they overlapped. Mm. And, and what was sort of the, the the you know if if you don't mind me asking, what was the the writing on the wall in football, and what was the inspiration in MMA? Well, I was playing arena football for next to nothing, you know. So it was, um, I I did enjoy my time up up in uh, Colorado, but you know, uh, wasn't nothing ever going to come of it. So uh, it was just time to to. Stopped playing football, and then uh, I did the nine to five thing for a little bit. Although, you know, really bored, sitting at a desk all day. I just wasn't boring, so I went to a gym one day and started training, and uh, fell in love with the sport. Yeah, and and what did you? So, uh, out of curiosity, what did you do as sort of a nine to five job in between football and MMA? Man, I did everything. <laughs> I I worked for uh, Coca Cola. I worked for the government. Um. I worked in a call center, uh, and I just bounced around in different stuff. Yeah, jammed a whole lot of things into that that little. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just kind of a, a wondering here because you know you were an elite athlete. You stopped being an elite athlete for a little while in between. Uh, you know, what did your friends sort of say when when you decided to to take up MMA seriously? Uh, I mean, I think everybody knows. Like, you know, I'm not a. Uh, you know, once I decide to do something, that's it. So I think that everybody who knows me just knows that, uh, that the sky would be the limit and that, uh, you know, I would take it as far as it would go. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, you've proven that in a, a very short period of time, only two and a half years as a pro, uh, and you're headlining this card. But I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit too there. In, in being an elite athlete, when you first did take uh, take those MMA classes, what did it feel like being, you know, kind of the new guy on the block when – in the past, you've always been, you know, sort of the top dog, or you've always been a guy who's in the know. Man, I think that's what kind of attracted me to MMA uh, the most was that I had to start from scratch. You know, um, I didn't know anything about it. I knew I'd have to, you know, learn how to do everything at the same time, and it was just kind of intriguing to me. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what makes a, a really impressive athlete too is that somebody who who looks for that challenge, uh, and, and obviously you're meeting it with, you know, uh, more than you ever could have imagined. Was there a moment in that those first couple of MMA classes that let you know you felt like you could 100% make the switch, or ha have you always just known this was, you know, definitely going to work once you decided on it? No, I started out for fun at first, and then, you know, I just saw how fast I was getting, uh, you know, getting better, so... Went pro for a couple of times as a pro, uh, then decided to stop the nine to five thing and just, you know, teach class and do jujitsu all day. 
Yeah, sounds like a dream uh, to me. So, uh, yeah. sort of the last sort of question on this uh, is: Is it surprising to you that in two and a half years of being a pro, which is a relatively short period of time in the MMA world, is it crazy to you thinking back at it that now you're headlining a card when two and a half years ago you were zero and zero? Uh, not at all. You know, I put everything into this, and uh, you know, uh, I think I work harder than everybody else, and uh, you know do a lot more stuff than everybody else does. So I think I deserve it and uh, much more. Yeah, absolutely. And we're so looking forward to that fight with Machida. So I, I got to ask one last question because you're, you're a really humble guy. You obviously know uh, what you've put into it and what you feel like you deserve. Can I ask, what's your prediction for this fight with Machida? Do you expect, uh, what are you sort of expecting out of him in this fight? Uh, I'm expecting uh, him to come out you know, rejuvenated, you know, uh, fighting in his hometown, you know, certainly with the fire lip under his ass. So, um, you know, I think I want to see the best form of himself uh, come February 3rd. So, you know, I think, uh, make no mistake about it, I know that my hand will be raised in victory, but, you know, uh, whether I catch him or point him up or wrestle him, you know, uh, however the fight goes, I think I'm superior everywhere. Well, and we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, your boy Eric Anders fights Loyola Machida on the headliner of UFC in Bellum on February 3rd. Eric, once again, we thank you so much for the time. Hey, appreciate you guys for having me. Well, there you have it. There's your boy, Eric Anders. What do you think of that, Dave? <laughs> yeah, boy. Uh, very excited about Eric Anders, our number two prospect with the potential to pull a Vulcan Ozdemir, as we said earlier in the show. But one of the things I took from your interview with him, uh, I love the story of how he basically played matchmaker on the UFC's behalf and kind of played role of his own manager, went on Wikipedia, found that this fight card needed a main event, found that it was close to Leota Machida's home, and is just like, well, that makes sense and made it happen i guess this is like a, a moral tale or something that other fighters should probably take heed and, and start doing this more themselves because it worked out perfect yeah and I, I think it's so funny too that so many people just like call out the big name that they want or a name that they like think would push him up the rankings but he did more than that he thought about who would push him up the rankings who's a winnable fight where might they possibly grant this fight and what's the selling point the selling point is it's a hometown fight for machida the selling point is he's a rising prospect, and the selling point is he can beat it. So, like, he, like, found all of the possible avenues to make this the perfect fight. Um, and, and to that, I, I think more people should follow along with that. I love it. All right, so uh, it's our episode 100, our episode C-Note, and I love that it happens to fall on the same week as a massive card taking place in Beantown, Boston. It's UFC 220. It's this coming weekend, and we, of course, are Top Turtle MMA. We like to break things down and come up with a top of anything, so we broke down our top five fighters who could pull a Vulcan Ozdemir this year, and now we're going to break down our top three fights on UFC 220. Does anyone sponsor this, Reed Gumby? Well, of course, we're sponsored by the best mouth guard on the planet. That's Sisu Mouthguards. Head on over to SISUguard.com. You can check out their mouth guards. 
You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouth guard up in your mouth. They are so comfortable. I wear one all the time when I roll. So head on over once again to SISUGuard.com and get the mouth guard that's right for you. Tell them Top Turtle sent you. I love my CSU mouth guard. I wear it all the time when I'm rolling and competing in the great sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. All right, UFC 220 is headlined by Stipe Naganu. I see no better place to start. What a heavyweight matchup. Uh, Stipe has cemented himself. As the guy to beat in the heavyweight division, he is going for the record. I feel like this isn't being brought up enough uh, of three title defenses. No one has ever defended the heavyweight title three times, so he goes for the record against a massive challenger, a massive man in Francis Naganu. Highlight KO, uh, highlight real KOs for days, son. He's coming off a massive uppercut from hell over Alistair Overeem. Uh, Stipe, we last saw him fight against JDS, knocked him out, no problem. So these two guys are both on a role uh who you got here gumby i'm gonna go with francis naganu and it's not just because we've had him on the show a bunch of times to me I, I know both of them have knockout power both of them could knock each other out but but to me the the big selling point for naganu here is how willing sometimes stipe is to get on his heels so you know when he beat free retail verdum everybody remembers the highlight reel knockout but nobody remembers that he was like willing to back up and back up and back up while Verdum was chasing him down. And I don't think Naganu is as reckless, but if he can back up Stipe, his boxing is more technically sound there, and I think that that bodes dangerously for Stipe here. Yeah, I, it's interesting because we saw Alistair tried to push Naganu up against the fence, and Naganu was having none of that. You know, he, he circled away, got the fight back to the center of the octagon. I'm so interested to see, can Stipe employ a push him up against the fence, kind of dirty box, grapple him approach. I don't think he wants to just stand and trade or try to, you know, paw at distance because that's just going to end up with, I would assume, Naganu knocking Stipe out. But that being said, how many fights has Naganu had in the UFC, Gumby? Like six, right? Six. Okay. Six. And it's a total of maybe seven minutes of action i mean i think 10 at the most curtis blades took him to the second round right and that so that was about two full rounds for that one. two full rounds and then everything else has been like two minutes and under so we have yet to see naganu you know really tested let's not forget that when a young woman by the name of Ronda Rousey knocked out betch kahaya in 35 seconds there's you know talk of her fighting Floyd Mayweather. Mike Tyson is in the gym saying, oh, her hands look nasty. And then she fights Holly Holm, and it's like it it was a house of cards, right? I mean, I think some more hardcore fans kind of knew, but there was a house of cards there with Ronda. She was employing one method of victory. Now, I know that Naganu has a brutal submission win, uh, you know, where he almost ripped someone's arm off with a Kimura. Anthony Hamilton. A- Anthony Hamilton. Or wasn't it Abagab... What's... The- wasn't it in Albany, Abdel Yeah, it Rahim? wasn't Albany, but I thought it was Anthony Hamilton. I thought it was... Al- we'll, we'll put the intern on it. We'll put the intern on that. But my point being, we have yet to really see Naganu tested. You know, I don't know after he takes a hard shot, does he come back? Is he a... You know, a Diaz brother. Is he a Brian Ortega? Does he bend, not break? I don't know yet. And I think well, Stipe is going to be the first person, really, 
um, who hopefully can maybe drag him into that second, maybe even a third round, and then we'll see, is he a completely different fighter? Is it a Rumble Johnson situation? Does his power lessen as the rounds go on? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know about that either. I will say that in his debut fight, Luis Enrique uh, did tag... Uh, Naganu a little bit, maybe a little octagon jitters there for uh, Naganu, who was only like five and one at the time. Uh, and Enrique tagged him a little bit. He looked a little stunned. He came forward and he like instantly knocked out Enrique in like a brutal fashion. Um, and I also put the intern on it, and it was Anthony Freight Train Hamilton in Albany who got tapped out uh, to a Kimura lock. Uh, okay. There you go. So, I, I don't know. It's an interesting fight. Naganu's the minus 175 uh, favorite. The champ is a plus 165 dog. So, you know, I think... I, I don't think anyone could go wrong with Naganu. Um, I don't... I, I kind of like Stipe as a dog if I'm getting points on Stipe because I'm still a massive Stipe fan. I think he's very well-rounded. But time will tell. I think this fight will... I know this is cheap to say a week out, but this fight will certainly help determine who Naganu really is, because now he's facing a wrestler for the first time as well. Yeah, All right. agree. We'll move to the co-main event, and it's pretty exciting when you think about it. It's Daniel Cormier, a minus 320 favorite, to Vulcan Ozdemir, a plus 260 dog, the man who inspired our top five countdown today, Gumby. Uh, Vulcan Ozdemir, 3-0 in the UFC with two highlight reel KOs, and they're almost like flash KOs. This man has a lot of power in his hands. Cormier coming off a devastating loss to John Jones, but he got his title back. That's another story for another day. Uh, the first time Cormier has ever been finished, mind you, and now going against someone with maybe the heaviest hands in the division. Uh, I think Vegas has this, you know, it's Cormier is a three to one favorite for a reason because they probably think he's going to wrestle him. Ozdemir, much like Naganu, we don't really know. We saw him take a short notice fight against OSP and go uh, three full rounds and get a decision victory in that. But we haven't seen a lot of Ozdemir yet either. Cormier, the perfect person to test him. We'll see what he's like in the fourth and fifth rounds. Who are you taking here? I'm taking Cormier. I think he's going to wrestle him and maybe even finish him from top game. I, I know that that's like not a very standard Cormier response, right? He doesn't usually finish guys in the top game. But I, I just think his wrestling is going to be way too dangerous for Vulcan. You said we don't have a lot of history of Vulcan fending off takedowns or, or a lot of history, period, of Vulcan. But I think the biggest problem for him here is that I've seen some of his wrestling on, on more regional circuits like Bellator um, and his only loss is to Kelly Andenson, who, who was a, like a U.S. level wrestler and it just looked really bad. And granted, that was like three and a half years ago, but I just can't imagine he's improved enough in three and a half years to go from getting thrown around the cage by Kelly Andenson to being... Uh, ready to defend Daniel Cormier takedowns. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that is the path to victory for Cormier. I think back to both Rumble fights where Cormier was able to just kind of, you know, weather the storm in the first round, make him carry his weight. Cormier is obviously a very smart fighter, but I will say, you know, doesn't Ozdemir is out of American Top Team with uh, Din Thomas? Is that correct? No, I, I, no, I think he's uh, overtraining at Combat Club with. Um... Who's the the Dutch kickboxer guy there? Uh, uh, Henry Huft. Henry Huft. 
Henry Hoof. Henry Hoof. Yeah, yeah, I think he's training with Henry Hoof. He was doing some work at Black Zillions. Okay. Uh, I think he might have departed well, with Hoof, but I, I'm not sure. I almost hate getting into those talks sometimes because I know these guys travel and there's cross-pollination, yeah. but what I was going to say was I find uh, Dean Thomas always comes up with the best game plans for his fighters nowadays. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't think he's working with Dean. So. Okay. Never. so let's pretend it never happened. We'll go now to our third, our third best fight that we wanted to preview, and it starts the main card of UFC 220, and it's uh, Thomas Almeida versus Rob Font. Just a very exciting fight at bantamweight. Um, I think Almeida took a bit of a, a hit after he lost to Cody Garbrandt, but at one time he was considered a future title uh contender and then since losing to Garbrandt he got a win over Albert Moraes and then lost a unanimous decision to Jimmy Rivera so this is a big fight for Thomas Almeida Rob Font who I believe is a local out of Eastern Mass if I'm not mistaken yeah Boston kid yeah one of the more exciting fighters in the division power for days heavy heavy hands at 135 he's coming off a guillotine uh, choke loss a submission loss via guillotine choke to pedro muñoz though back in october of 2017 beat douglas silva deandrade before that via guillotine choke himself and then ko'd matt schnell back in december of 2016 so who are you taking here gumby I'm going to take Rob Font, surprisingly, even though he's probably the underdog here. I just think that the the part we're not talking about, right? Font, crazy KO power. Almeida, super creative striking. Almeida's got good jujitsu. The part nobody's talking about is Rob Font is actually a very legitimate wrestler. Um, he, you know, not a, not a huge background in it, but if you watch his fights, his wrestling is very sound. And the only reason he lost his last fight was he went to wrestle up Pedro Munoz a little bit. He'd gotten tagged on the feet once or twice. And, uh, Pedro Munoz is, is no slouch on the ground. He's an absolute killer down there. Um, so for me, Rob Font going to the wrestling game and sort of neutralizing Thomas Almeida's striking here is, I think, what wins him the fight. All right. Well, there you have it. Those are our top three fights of the night in our honest opinions. And we're taking Francis Naganu, Daniel Cormier, and Rob Font. Uh, so this has been episode 100, the C-Note episode of Top Turtle MMA. We cannot thank... Eric Anders enough for coming on the show. We can't thank flowcombat.com, our partner enough for partnering with us and getting us to episode 100. And of course our sponsors and our fans, give us a like, give us a subscribe, download us, write a review. It helps keep the lights on in the top turtle podcast studio. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland top turtle MMA podcast. We'll be back next week.